Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and we have the pleasure each week of talking to people who are building a more humane world from the inside out. And today we have two folks on the line uh, that are part of the uh, Compassionate Listening Project, along with other things that they do. And I need a little help with pronunciation, so I'll just uh, dive in and say it's Gil or Jill. Gil Barcella, you got it. Gil and Lori Archbold. Yes, hi. Hi. <laughs> All right. Are you both up in Seattle today? I, I am. I'm in Seattle. Ah, okay. I'm just outside Seattle. Yeah, just outside. Enough. Yeah. Well, this is this is great. Uh, so, Gil, you, you are still with the Compassionate Listening Project, and then you do other things uh, on the side. Is that a fair way of saying it? Yes, I'm a Compassionate Listening Facilitator, and I've been co-leading the organization's journeys to the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict alongside Lori, and I'm, uh, I'm also a coach. I have a practice here in Seattle, and I, um, I also have my own leadership development company called Finding Human, where we uh, guide leaders and teams into a deeper connection with themselves and each other and um, and propel organizational change that way. So I kind of wear multiple hats. Uh-huh. Passionate listening is, is interwoven into the fabric of it all. <laughs> uh, you said the last thing was finding... Human. H-U-M-A-N, human. Okay. We had Yael Petretti on uh, last month, who also has done been part of delegations there in Israel-Palestine with Compassionate Listening uh, yeah, Project, and she had led or co-led a group to Alabama as well here in the new year to do a similar kind of project. It's an education for all of us to understand what you all are doing. Compassionate Listening, I think, is okay. We can kind of feel compassion as, as we listen to a friend. But this is, there's something going on here that it would be helpful to us to get a better handle on what Lori, you and, and uh, Gil are doing and, and the whole organization, Leah Green and, and the rest. How would you like to help open that up for us, either one of you? So maybe I'll, I'll start by saying that the Compassionate Listening Project is an organization dedicated to fostering communities of peace worldwide. And we have a curriculum that is, is designed to help people access the wisdom of their own hearts and from that place connect to themselves and each other. And we teach a lot of uh, deep listening skills. We teach conflict resolution skills. We, there's, a, there's a big component of how to, how to be in the heat of conflict and manage your triggers. Mm. And we teach these workshops worldwide and also um, train facilitators to, to, to teach this work. And so on the journeys, both to Alabama and um, I'll speak specifically 
about the, the Israel-Palestine ones that I've been leading, we, we take participants and we teach them the curriculum in the context of, of that particular conflict. And so we meet with people from the entire political spectrum and we listen to their stories, um, left, right, Israeli, Palestinian, and simultaneously we teach the compassionate listening curriculum. And so what emerges is a very deep dive, not only into the region and the specifics of the conflict, um, but also because participants are invited to really practice in the sessions with the people, the stories that they hear, with the people that they sit with, it's, uh, it's a deep immersion in what I think is what it means to be a global citizen nowadays. Hmm. How do we actually hold contradiction? How do we actually stay grounded in our heart and our truth while also building bridges to the other side? It's, uh, it's a deep study in, in healing the polarities in that way. And Israel-Palestine is a microcosm that allows us to really dive into the nuances of that. Yes. Lori, what, what would you like to uh, add to that? Yeah, I think Gil did a great job representing what we're up to and what we're offering. But I will add that our one of the pioneers, we call her, of Compassionate Listening, her name was Jean Knudsen Hoffman. Okay. And she was an international peacemaker and um, traveled all over the world um, with a fellowship for reconciliation. And she was a student of Thich Nhat Hanh. So for those are, who are familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh and his teachings on compassionate listening, um, there's that sim- similar thread that runs through our organization. And Jean, when she kind of conceived this this um, notion of compassionate listening and started working on it, She one of the things she said is that an enemy is someone whose story we haven't heard. Mm. And for me, that really captures what the Compassionate Listening Project is doing. Uh, like Gil said, it is, is a deeply personal practice where you're doing deep healing work yourself, but it's also a process and it's a skill. And we talk about healing the world from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the name of our basic training. And um, for me, what Jean expressed with that, an enemy is someone whose story you haven't heard, is really at the core of so much of what we're seeing in the world and that polarization that Gil spoke to. Um, if we stop and actually listen to another, whether there are, I'm putting in quotes, other or not, um, the humanization and, and understanding that comes even if we disagree is is profound and makes a big difference for those sustainable solutions. Wonderful. So I just love that that mm-hmm. idea. Uh, healing the world from the inside out uh, certainly uh, resonates with me and, and the whole uh, foundation of this uh, radio show. And uh, then hearing people's stories, it, it, it takes my mind even to uh, how we get to know one another in any relationship and uh, hearing just taking the time to hear each other's stories it's uh, um, it seems so simple <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but yet uh, we see that that uh, people die over not taking the time to hear another story 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to to be trained in compassionate listening, can you give a a, a little bit of uh, you've you've used the word curriculum a few times. Can you open up the curriculum somewhat for me? Sure. Yeah, we we have trainings that happen all over the world, mostly North America, because that's where most of our facilitators are. There's 30 some facilitators for the Compassionate Listening Project, so they're able to, you know, have our trainings wherever they're uh, living and want to want to bring the work. But our core curriculum is usually a two day workshop and really focused on our core practices, which. I can certainly name, and that in and of itself is probably an hour-long conversation, but um, uh, starts with cultivating compassion, and that's that's a, both, like we talked about, a practice that's deeply personal and something that you can bring to relationships and how you walk in the world. And then we talk about developing the fair witness, so kind of suspending yourself from the heat of whatever it is you're engaged with and really getting some perspective and then respecting self and other is a is a core practice and then listening and speaking from the heart so our curriculum revolves around uh, deepening into those core practices and how we can both carry that in our own lives and then also bring it to our relationships and those around us whether it be groups or a particular relationship we're in conflict with it's really applicable, as you can hear from those core practices, to all of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in a in a workshop uh, training, you I'm going to go through the list, and I've I need some help with the third one. So we've got sort of checking on our our compassion uh, quotient. <laughs> I, uh, it what comes to mind is uh, emotional intelligence, but I, I don't know. I'm sure there are ways that we can see how compassionate we are. Can you give me one simple way for me to check my compassion score? So I would, I would relate to it as cultivating compassion. And that is something that, that we all have. I mean, we're all wired towards connection and compassion and love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, built into our nervous system, just the way we are wired towards defense and protection when things, when things go become a little more um, challenging or triggering. Mm-hmm. And so compassion is something that we all have. And all compassion is really is sitting with. And so, so imagine, imagine you being in conflict and imagine the other person being like a, like a small child, a screaming child. Right? Ideally, you won't scream and attack a small child. You'd sit with them, you'd listen to them, you'd ask them what, what's wrong. And so, and so all compassion is really, fundamentally speaking, is that. Mm-hmm. It's just sitting with. Mm-hmm. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to self-compassion, many of us tend to be incredibly uh, self-critical. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is the messages we got from home. Part of it is the the society we live in and the expectations that we have embodied. And so the practice of self-compassion is, is also very, very much the foundation of the work that we do. Um, the capacity to turn that compassionate lens onto ourselves and really extend the same, the same softness, the same okayness um, to ourselves, to areas of our lives where 
we might be overly critical or we might be hurting and just need that healing touch. Um, that's really all compassion is. Mm-hmm. So where the word condemning or, or judging might, as you talk about our, our self-criticism or self-condemning, I think people use the phrase, our, our internal critic cultivating compassion is being able then to sit with ourselves without that voice of condemnation or criticism or or self-judgment. Is that a way to say the same thing? Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. great, great. Lori, could you speak to fair witness, I believe was the phrase? Yeah, developing the fair witness, sure. I mean, similar to what Gil was just talking about, like when we're wired um, for protection and defense, which comes up uh, many ways in our modern lives, not just as we develop running away from lions or something, you know, like someone could just say something and it's like, I can't believe that person said that. How dare they? You know, you know, the familiar route that we humans can go down and developing the fair witnesses about, like Gil said, first pausing. And so much of our work is about slowing down Mm -hmm. and pausing and actually getting curious. That's the thing that's really present for me in that, core core part of compassionate listening is getting curious instead of being so attached to my view and my opinion and how I'm right and how addicted I am to being right. I, <laughs> I can pause and I can step back and go to the balcony and just get curious about what is happening here. Why am I feeling so threatened? Has this, is this familiar? Has this happened before? This feels like that other time. And why do I get so hooked when someone says that to me? Mm-hmm. And just really allowing myself the space and the pausing to understand more deeply what my needs and values are so that I can approach the situation in a way that's helpful as opposed to, I'm right, you're wrong, you shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It's the third one that I, I didn't get written down. Um, Gil, can you help me with yeah. the third one, or Lori, either one? Lori, what was the third one? It's respecting self and other, and Gil, you, go go for it. <laughs> um, respecting self and other. So as you can probably sense, Dick, they all sort of naturally flow um, from one to the other. Uh-huh. And, so, and so as we step into the balcony and get a, a more um, objective sense of what's going on, in ourselves and and with the other person in front of us there's a there's an opportunity there's a choice there's an opportunity for us to either um run with our judgments or really lean into what's alive what's alive for me and what's alive in the other person and and so the element of respect is just is just reminding ourselves of our choice and our decision to choose dignity Choose to honor what's true for us mm-hmm. and simultaneously honor what's true for for the other person. And the needs and the values of the other person might be very different than the ones that we have. And in fact, they might be even contradictory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's still a possibility of honoring one's humanity, honoring one's place 
in the world and in life and in the dynamic that we've created so that from this place of dignity, from this place of respect, we can build, we can begin to, to cultivate um, connection. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a choice point. Okay. Um, we encounter uh, in our lives um, the behavior that we'll label bullying. Um, is there the practice of separating the behavior from the individual that's exhibiting the behavior? Is that at all part of the practice? Mm, it's a beautiful question. Here's an example. The mother and the child that's at the table, the the child maybe uh, bangs on the table with uh, uh, a, a spoon or, or something and throws the food and... Well, that would be a little bit too young. I should go a little bit older. Uh, what I'm getting at is where, let's say, a, a mom or a dad says, I love you, but I don't love what you just did. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the mom is separating the behavior from that individual. And I'm, I'm wondering, because it's part of my practice, I'm wondering if that's part of the the curriculum uh, in the way that you all work on this. Respecting the person without necessarily feeling a respect for the behavior that was just exhibited. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a, that's a huge part. And it's, um, we, we address it in many different ways. And so Lori spoke of the, the need to suspend our judgment. Mm-hmm. That's a component, right? Really identifying not just what the behavior is that we want to maybe maybe speak to, but being able to separate that from the stories that run through our minds that probably have more to do with the person or our own experience rather than the actual criticism that we want to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, we use the framework of the drama triangle uh, or the victim triangle. Some know it as the victim triangle. In our work a lot and when you were speaking we're speaking about the mother and the child i was reminded of that and and all it is is really really this idea that when in conflict we we tend to embody three kind of core archetypes uh, one of them is the victim the other is the rescuer and the other is the perpetrator and we kind of move around the the triangle a bunch um as we as we make our way through, uh, through different conflicts. And I'm bringing it up because, because so much of the, the, the intensity or the judgment comes from exactly the inability to make the distinction that you just made. Mm-hmm. The investment in, in, in somebody's doing something to me, therefore they're the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And I have no say and no way of actually, actually uh, responding to that in a, in a way that's productive. Mm-hmm. And so that's a framework we use a lot to, again, differentiate between the action and what the, the that, was, that was done that we might want to uh, speak to, um, but really discerning an appropriate action, an appropriate attitude to, to name the behavior, but then also suspend our 
our um, tendency to fall into the triangle, to act out of victimhood, to act out of, you know, this this place of disempowerment. So that's a huge component. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the listening and speaking skills, and you'll probably ask us about that more specifically in a second. Um, well, go, go for it. <laughs> Um, so let me, let me just say that that built into our our listening skills, um, we train our participants to really listen for the deeper layers of the conversation, not just what happened and not get stuck in their judgments, but really listen for the other person's emotions, the other person's feelings, and then also the values and their needs that um, they might not be expressing verbally. But those are the motivators behind the underneath the, the behavior. And and we often find that when you listen for the deeper layers of the feelings and the needs and the values, that's where you actually cultivate the capacity to say, I do not appreciate this behavior. Ah. But mm -hmm. but I respect you as a human and I understand that even your violence is rooted in some unmet needs. Right. And some mm -hmm. values. And I still, mm -hmm. I, I could still criticize the behavior, mm -hmm. but I see humanity nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Well, that certainly um, helps me understand in a, in a very personal way. Great, great. We're at uh, 30 past the hour, so we're going to take a short station break. Lori, I, I would like to hear about uh, Listening Willow. Um, I'd like to explore with both of you what heart math, uh, how this plays into your work. And, uh, and then if you have some, and it doesn't have to be in this order, some practical results that you, maybe that's not even, maybe the process is, is what's important. When a delegation goes to Israel-Palestine, how is that assessed as you, you all probably work together in the process? So more about the Israel-Palestine delegation, too. But we're going to take a short station break. Uh, this is Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, I'm talking with Gil Barcella and Lori Archbold, uh, who have co-led a delegation uh, of the Compassionate Listening Project to Israel-Palestine. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. My guest today, Gil Barcella and Lori Archbold. I contacted them because of their involvement with the Compassionate Listening Project that I heard of years ago and uh, wanted to learn more about. Uh, so, Gil and Lori. Uh, Lori, I said... I wanted to know a little bit about Listening Willow. I, I see that that's your website. So people can find you 
at uh, www.listeningwillow.com? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay. And when we go there, I see that you lead workshops, uh, you do one-on-one coaching, um, and that you incorporate heart math in yes. was part of your, your practice. You know, when I was a, a college teacher, I, I was introduced to heart math, but I didn't have the whatever it took to take it beyond just hearing about it. Um, so I'm, I'm a little curious today to see if I can find out a little bit more about that and how it, it might complement your compassionate listening work and uh, mm-hmm. coaching and workshops. And, I, and Gil, I know you use heart math as well. So um, maybe, Lori, you could, could you start and kind of tell us more yes. about those things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, heart math, um, Gail and I are both heart math trainers, and we use heart math and I think almost all the different hats we wear, including the delegation to Israel and Palestine and compassionate listening workshops. It's a really important component. As Gail mentioned earlier, the the basis, uh, a big basis of compassionate listening is connecting to our heart, um, strengthening our pathways back to our heart as a source of wisdom, which is something that people forever have known, and we've somehow kind of lost that connection in our modern day of how we live. Mm-hmm. So the HeartMath Institute is a, a awesome nonprofit that's been studying the role of the heart on human performance and health for decades, and uh, it's just a really perfect pairing with compassionate listening, um, learning all about how your heart is, like, what do we mean when we say the heart is a source of wisdom? Well, it's actually physiologically affecting us in many ways. And how do we slow down and use our heart as a tool for health, for clarity, for resilience in our, in our lives and in our relationships? And um, yeah, I find that it's a very, very important component, especially when we go to places where there's intense conflict and trauma, um, you know, stopping and slowing and implementing some of the practices that we've learned through heart math for um, just increasing our resilience. That is a that is a key part of all of it. Mm-hmm. You say a, a practice that you've learned in heart math is is it difficult to just describe a, one of those practices? No, it's not. It's it's probably overly simple and somewhat <laughs> misleading in how simple it is because I'll describe it and okay. then and it'll be like, well, what's actually happening? And if we were to plug ourselves into the little monitor that Gil and I have that shows our heart rate variability, you'd actually see the changes happening in our physiology. Um, but but yeah, it's, there's just some really simple simple things that you can do, including. Uh, I mean, this is like a whole other day workshop, too, that I'm going to say in 30 (laughs) seconds. But, um, you know, just like we talked about earlier, pausing, breathing from our hearts, slowing down. Should we just offer a practice? Let's do it. That's a great idea, Gil. Go for it. Why don't you lead us through it? So we'll we'll just take we'll just take a minute or two with it. The practices are that simple. Simple, yeah. So, and so, Dick, I want to invite you and all of our listeners to just find a comfortable seat. 
And if you're comfortable doing so, go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. And if not, that's totally fine. And, and simply send your awareness to the area of your heart. And if you want, you can put your hand there just to support your mind and just sending your awareness down to your heart and take a few breaths in and out through your heart. Just a little slower and a little deeper than your usual cadence. A few simple breaths. And as you simply breathe in and out through your heart, just make an attempt to experience some renewing feeling like care or appreciation for something or someone in your life right now. Could be a friend or a pet or a beautiful day or a place in nature. Just take a short moment with that. Let's pause here for a second. Vic, how does it feel? Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely and natural. Yes, I get to so, re reflect um, peacefully on uh, people and things I love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so the... The magic of heart math is that they, they have come up with simple practices and the science to back up something that we intuitively know. And, and um, we talk a lot about the value of renewing emotions, you know, the, the shift of your nervous system from the, the stress and overwhelm that we chronically uh, bombard ourselves with and what becomes possible when we simply shift, when we shift into renewing emotions, when we tap into care, compassion, appreciation. And it turns out, and there's a ton of science on it now, that, that it's that shift, it's the renewing feelings that um, really contribute to our resilience. And not only that, but our um, overall well-being and health. There are 1,400 benefits that are associated with our capacity to tap into this coherent state that comes with our renewing emotions, um, our capacity to connect, to make decisions. Um, higher levels of that allow us to tap into practical intuition. And, and all of it, the beauty of it, again, is, is all of it is something that we intuitively know. We know how to connect to our hearts. And now we have the, the, the science and the simple tools to really ground that into, into ancient practices that, that, were, um, that, that some of us are very familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, I picked up that you use a biofeedback device. Yes. Is that what the little <laughs> monitor is? Uh, yes. Yeah, great. Because, I mean, biofeedback has been... When it came around, <laughs> yeah, 
back in the 60s, 70s uh, became more popular. It was uh, sort of the the uh, the thing that broke stuff open <laughs> uh, where you could actually, wow, I can lower my heart rate. I can I can change the temperature at the tips of my fingers. Uh, and all of the stress uh, workshops started using little uh, thermometers and things to see you can lower this and you can raise that and <laughs> and it it was empowering for people so I, i'm glad to see that yeah. that it's uh still around and uh, even more um, uh, defined in its benefits wonderful yeah yeah <laughs> i was just gonna say dick what you said about uh it being empowering i find really to be true not for myself but just for people in workshops and clients as well because it's the seeing is believing mm -hmm. you know we've all heard the like gratitude is good for us but it's like why and and then actually getting to see this and your heart rate variability reflected back to you and see your body drop into that state of coherence that Gil was speaking to mm -hmm. like oh i i knew this intuitively but i'm now seeing the science behind this and that really makes a difference for people practicing i think so mm -hmm. it is very empowering as you said and I think uh, for those that uh, got into TM, uh, Transcendental Meditation, back in the day and, and may still be involved, the uh, research that was done to back up the work of uh, meditation was doing a very similar thing of, of taking uh, the measurements of you know, lowered heart rate and, and then branching that out into lower stress levels and increased immune system and so uh yeah it it heart math is just seemed to have taken like you said uh, ancient and practiced uh modalities and, and put it into a, a little different package uh expanded in some ways yeah wonderful wonderful so if people wanted to learn more about heart math they would just google that and i guess there are uh, online trainings even i don't know uh that yeah yeah okay and i don't know if it's expensive is that something that's uh you you have to pay three hundred dollars for just to get your mantra or <laughs> uh what? levels of offerings yeah yeah okay different things different different entry points okay great Let's go back to Israel-Palestine, if, if you will, and help us see how is, is, is the word success even uh, a useful word to talk about what happens with a delegation? What are better words to use? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, Gil, I see you. About, go ahead. Well, I just want to start by offering an anecdote from HeartMath that I think ties directly to what we, how we, how we measure success. And so the heart extends, this is also science, what I'm about to say to mm -hmm. all of you skeptics out there. Mm -hmm. um, the heart extends an electromagnetic field outside of our bodies. Mm -hmm. and it extends about um, 12 feet. Scientists mm -hmm. think that maybe even more. And that electromagnetic field, just like our heart rate, that electromagnetic field is also impacted by our emotions and our attitudes. Mm -hmm. And it also affects people in our sphere. Mm -hmm. right? So people, when they enter our field, if we're in a state of frustration, they can feel it. Mm -hmm. If we're in a state of, of compassion and coherence, 
they can feel that too. And their own heart is impacted by it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to let that sink for a moment, right? The question, the leading question that's really important for us to ask ourselves is what are we feeding the field? And are we feeding it with, with love and appreciation and compassion, or are we feeding it with, with agitation and frustration? Mm-hmm. Right? Because we affect one another all the time on a cellular, on a scientific level. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing this up because when we talk about creating change, Lori, I think you, you, you mentioned, I mean, changing, like really creating change from the inside out. Right? And so, so this is the key measurement that we, that we look at when we, when we have these, these journeys. It's the level of personal change that participants get to carry with them and take into their communities and then impact every person they are, they are in touch with. It's the level of change that we offer. It's the gift that we offer with our listening and our holding to our, our speakers and the, the resiliency boost that we can offer them. And then beyond that, I mean, once we really expand the lens from the personal change that occurs within each and every one of us, then we have an opportunity to actually do something with, uh, with, uh, with the teachings. And so many of our uh, participants have gone on to offer talks or events, bringing this knowledge into their own communities. Um, we, have, we have had many... Uh, points of contact made between different speakers of kind of like network weaving mm-hmm. um, on the ground um, that that our uh, delegations have uh, were able to create, and so and so the ripple effect of these of these uh, journeys is is really just beautiful to 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 observe and to and to be part of, and it's all rooted from this really deep transformation that occurs on a very personal basis. Mm-hmm. So that's really the most important thing. What happens beyond that is up to each participant and each dynamic to, to create their own ripple effect. Um, but but the, the personal transformation is, is really something that each participant gets to carry with them and, and expand in their own community, in their own way, in their own lives. So uh, uh, what I'm... What's going through my mind is as you're talking, Gil, um, and Lori, jump in on this if if if, if it connects with you. Uh, you're you're part of a delegation. You're trained. Uh, you you go to uh, some uh, areas in Israel, Palestine. You encounter individuals. Um, do, do the individuals you encounter get training or are they, um, I, I use the word simply, are they simply being listened to compassionately? So we, yeah, the latter mostly. We do sometimes stay on after and many of the people that were um, in relationship with there have been in relationship with the nonprofit for decades so they have the training from from that. But the delegation and the people when we go over, our goal is to sit with those people, to offer compassionate listening mm-hmm. as a gift, as a healing gift. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing trainings with the people that we listen to. We have listening sessions where really our focus is them 
and hearing their stories and witnessing them and bearing witness to what, you know, all that they've experienced from all sides of the conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the focus of the listening sessions. And, and I think it's also worth pointing out what Gil was speaking to with the ripples. So those yeah. ripples include ripples with those people. And, um, you know, it's, it's common that we'll be sitting with someone where, you know, it's just not normal in anywhere in life, especially in a place as polarized as Israel, Palestine, mm-hmm. for people to go in and listen from their hearts, from nothing, wanting to hear, suspending judgment. And that experience for people is transformational. Some of the, like, harder, and putting in quotes, harder people we might sit with, or more like extreme people we might sit with, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just halfway through lean forward and they're like, what, what is happening? What are you all doing? What's <laughs> happening? You know, and th- there's just this experience of being heard that they're so not used to that that is truly transformational for people. Um, so those ripples include with those listening sessions. So I'm, I'm also picturing um, the we used to use the word auras. I don't know if you still use that. You maybe replaced it with field. But uh, so here's uh, how many in your delegation? Maybe eight, ten? Uh, Usually like somewhere between 16 and 22. Oh, that depends. many. Okay. So so here's this, uh, wow, 16, 20 people all uh, trained to have this uh, – 12-foot extension of love and compassion and kindness uh, oozing out around them. And and here's one individual that comes into this setting, and I can just – it's like they don't see the fields that are uh, embracing them and and holding them in in such a a tender way. I I can – that's what I picture when you said – they stop partway through and say, what's going on? It's, it, uh, yeah. I, I have a visual of, of, of this. It, it's a beautiful yeah. picture. Yeah. It, it is. And it makes me think of just one other thing I want to share and Gil jump in here. Cause this, we talked about what a beautiful moment this was, but last year on the delegation, there's this moment where we were touring, we we're about to go into the old city of Jerusalem and we stopped outside one of the entry gates and just sat all 18 of us, however many there were. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our, the person we were with, a friend of the project, um, just had us really focus our attention and the area of our heart and notice and breathe and be with all that was happening. And, mm-hmm. and so just imagine that, not just in the listening sessions, but like as we're moving through this, this ancient and beautiful place where um, there, it's holding so much. That place holds so many stories yeah. um, to hear those as well from the land and just to be there and, and yeah, just in the midst of all that, these people are just tapping into that power as really is a beautiful, mm. beautiful thing. Um, mm. Beautiful. And Dick, when you, when you describe that moment and Lori listening to, to you, retelling that 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 moment that i remember so well i just i I just want to add that we we often relate to compassionate listening as a healing gift and it's a healing gift that we we each have 
right? And it's an opportunity when we have those group listening sessions and also individually when we are when we come in contact with another person, right? It's that it's it's extending that field that you that you mm-hmm. that you talked about there. Mm-hmm. That healing gift that's holding someone in that field, in that compassion, that's in and of itself really healing and transformative. Yeah. Yes, I, uh, we've all experienced it. We may not have understood what was going on, but I know we've mm-hmm. all experienced it. Yeah, beautiful. We have just a couple of minutes left. Um, so I ask guests about this time. What would you like to share as uh, ending kinds of thoughts, uh, even ways to contact you or... Uh, the, the project or um, so each of you just uh, take a little bit and and uh, uh, have the last word so to speak well I definitely invite you all to go to compassionatelistening.org and check out our journey page um, we are we just opened applications for the next journey journey number 35 that's happening November 2nd mm-hmm So definitely check that out. Reach out to us if you have questions. We'd love to have you there. But I also think I want to put in a little plug for just anybody who's listening to this to just like start experimenting with some of these things that we've been talking about. You maybe already do in your own ways, but like, yeah, just dare to listen to the people in your lives in a new way and see, see what ripples that might have on, on your relationships. I, I'm uh, grateful for your listening. Yeah, thank you. Laura, you spoke really beautifully. That's that's all I have to say, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Laura has a way of representing me, so so I would <laughs> Well, I think I noticed on your two respective websites that there is a, a beautiful picture of the two of you <laughs> um, as if you're in a session with each other. Uh, yes. We, we were in session with each other at that moment. <laughs> and it's just uh, uh, wonderful to meet you. And um, I'm, I'm enticed uh, to get more involved in some way. So we'll see how the future works with that. Uh, mm-hmm. So thank you. Uh, thank you both, Gil Barcella and Lori Archbold. And uh, people can find you online. And I will uh, be uh, editing and and sending out the podcast address for this in the next couple of days so people can find it if they happen to miss it today. So I will say, as I always do to my guests uh, and listening audience, uh, uh, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner and more peaceful and more loving than you found it because if it is to be it is up to us take care and talk to you soon